Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their zero to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond and their biggest challenges during the first three phases of uh, their journey in software. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io, which I co-founded after being in SaaS for nearly a decade. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent, they cost half as much as in-house developers. And you can think of us as your outsource CTO, as we've got 20 years of development, entrepreneur, and business experience to help keep your project from ending up in the software graveyard. We specialize in software as a service and software startups. Contact us at onestop.io so we can spread out your project today. Today, I have a CEO and founder, Mike Brown of Endash, a content creation platform, SaaS. Today, we're going to talk to Mike about the early days of creating Endash, how he came up with the, the idea, funded his MVP, and navigated his way from zero to 30 to reach his software big break. How are you today, Mike? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Excited to chat about content creation, something that everyone needs to be doing, uh, no matter what kind of business they are. So why don't you tell me quickly a bit about yourself, who your customer is, the main customer that you feel like you service, and what problems specifically are you solving for them? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, personally, I've been, you know, a writer by trade really my whole career. Um, I was a, a news reporter, sports reporter, did some freelance writing and, you know, before NDash found my way into the marketing department uh, at a couple crowdsourced software companies. So okay. I got really familiar uh, and, you know, I'm passionate with content creation, particularly written content creation. So, you know, doing the blogs and the white papers and all the thought leadership and brand awareness for companies, um, but also the crowdsourcing business model, seeing how that can, um, you know, help, help companies scale, give them, you know, access to a greater pool of talent. Um, so that was sort of the, the pre-story to Endash. Um, so while I was at these companies, um, I, I kind of saw, you know, an opportunity to apply the crowdsourcing model to, to content creation in a way that I felt wasn't being done. Um, and specifically what I mean by that is sort of the, the caliber of companies and the caliber of writers that typically populate, um, you know, freelancing platforms in our space. So that was when I decided to start Endash. I wanted to build a platform, you know, geared towards a higher caliber of both company and writer. And so, you know, I guess to, to go back to the second part of your first question, you know, our customers are... Um, you know, marketing leaders, marketing decision makers within, um, you know, individual companies, but also agency owners. Um, so agencies that have, you know, a large, diverse uh, client base obviously need a large, diverse, um, you know, team of writers to, to deliver for, um, you know, as part of their retainer services. So the, those are our two primary, um, you know, users on the customer side. Okay. Um so what would be some examples of customers? You said uh, we're talking about 
not someone like HubSpot, or would you even have someone like HubSpot? Yeah, we have worked with HubSpot before. We work with um, you know large enterprise companies all the way up to uh, you know brands like LinkedIn, Monster, Putnam Investments. Uh, but we also work with companies as small as uh, you know solo entrepreneurs and consultants. So okay. our customer base is really um, it really kind of runs the gamut. Okay, but it's a recurring service, as I understand, right? It's the same. Uh, recently, it is, and that'll be you know something that'll be pretty fun to talk about later. Um, largely on demand, but there is a recurring component to it now. Okay, is that the, the direction that you're sort of trying to head? Then is get recurring, a SaaS model for it. It is, yeah. Um, you know, the types. I feel like you know, in our space, a lot of these platforms is are seen as and used as um, you know a one-off type of solution. Hey, I have a one-time need for a writer. I'm just going to, you know, log into this platform, get somebody to do it, and then call it a day. Whereas, you know, the types of uh, you know companies that we're going after, what we're trying to do is build them, you know, a team that can, uh, you know, that they can work with and they can grow with over time. Um, so it's certainly not uh, intended to be a, a one-off type of content mill. It's yeah. more of a, a team-building collaboration type of platform. So yeah, for that reason, um, the you know the re recurring component um, you know recently became a, a pretty big part of our business. Okay, um, so tell me, take me back to um, to the to the start. Uh, yeah. You're writing for these companies. And did you have your own business? It was just you writing at, or did you start an agency? Or I did, yeah. On? So, yeah, in order to get started, I, I did try to, um, you know, secure, you know, funding, seed rounds, talk to VCs and things like that. But ultimately came to the conclusion that, you know, that model wasn't um, necessarily a fit for the VCs. And in retrospect, it wouldn't have been great for us either. So, we had a decision to make on, on how we got to the eventual uh, or how we you know, realized the, the long-term vision. Um, and so what we did was you know, started an agency. Um, that agency you know, started as myself. So when I started Endash, it was me as a freelance writer with you know, a couple core clients. And over time, you know, we built up an in-house staff of about 10 writers. Um, and that's sort of when we- And they were in-house. Were that in were house. all in house. Yep. Okay. So there was no platform, no software, okay. and we used the you know the profits and the revenue from the agency to um, you know fund the creation of the platform. Um, okay. So for the first two years, you know, we were sort of operating the agency um, on one side, and that was what the um, you know our customers and prospects you know sort of saw. Um, but on the back end, we were you know creating a platform that would uh, you know scale. Um, you know, the problems that we were solving manually as an agency. Okay. Okay. So that's very interesting because I've, I definitely noticed that as a theme, a lot of SaaS people start off as agencies. So can you, um, I'd, I'd like to dig into that as well. How did you start the agency? Did you find that it was uh, right away profitable? Um, you know, sort of give me the breakdown on starting the agency. Yeah. Um, you know, so the agency was profitable right away. Um, yeah. And it wasn't necessarily because, you know, I was, a, you know, at that time, a, a savvy entrepreneur or anything like that. It had to be profitable. We had no, yeah. uh, you know, funds in the bank. So yeah. uh, it was really out of necessity, uh, you know, that the agency had to be profitable. 
Yeah. And you know, over time, it, as it became more profitable, um, it's not like we took those off the table. Like I said before, we you know deployed those into you know creating and then ultimately launching the platform. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, on the agency side, I, I I you know I agree. I see a lot of um, bootstrapped companies getting started this way. Um, there's some very smart people that have kind of coined the term scaling with services, and that's exactly what we did. I didn't really know it at the time. Yeah. Um, but I've seen that you know to be a, a pretty common approach. You know, specifically with bootstrap software companies, I'm not, I'm not sure there's another way to do it unless you have you know a big pile of cash in the bank to to kind of self fund. Yeah. Well, some people start by, you know, start with like a $5,000 MVP too, mm-hmm. um, you know, that the, and they even get their customers to pay for it, um, you know, beforehand, before it's even built. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me about the revenues when, um, like, what are we talking about here? Like, how, how do you, char- how are you charging for your services and, and um, how, like, how are you paying your writers? How are you finding your writers? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so the early iterations of Endash were um, almost all on demand. So the platform, um, it's still free. You know, we still have a free tier, but at the time, um, you know, the free tier when we first launched really gave you all of the features. It was a, a flawed pricing model in the customer's favor, big time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was largely, you know, Endash keeping a, tr- uh, a small percent of every completed transaction on the platform. And, you know, that was really how we, we made our money early on. Um, the transition from agency to SaaS wasn't a complete overnight thing. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of that agency business, um, you know, we kept going. We obviously used the platform to fulfill a lot of it in the early days. So that, um, you know, legacy part of our business sustained us as well early on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't a, you know, a total jump, but I think, you know, the good thing for us in the MVP phase is that everything we were doing as an agency from, um, you know, interacting with clients, attracting, um, you know, talent, attracting companies, all applied to, to the SaaS platform that we're building. So they were the same set of problems, just solved differently uh, once we launched the platform. Okay. So, um how long, like what time frame are we talking about here? When, when did you launch Endash as an agency and how long were you, um, how you said two years, but how long was it before um, you launched the, the SaaS? Mm-hmm. So the agency really got started in early 2014. Um, okay. That was when we brought on our first employees. And by 2016, you know, the platform had launched. So we had launched the platform at HubSpot's inbound conference. Um, you know, the summer before we had done, you know, some beta testing, um, you know, started to seed the community with, with writers that we knew. So the, the, the platform came online in 2016. So just about two years. Two from, years. You know, and how many, how many writers were sort of writing for you at that time? Um, in-house you had 10, but how many outside, like you, mm-hmm. you had some, you had some writers that were contributing to the, to the platform. Yeah. So during the agency years, I think we had probably worked with anywhere from, you know, 30 to 50 different writers, depending on, you know, the clients that we had. Okay. Uh, and obviously those writers were a big part, um, you know, the sort of launching the community side of, of the platform. Really, though, from there, you know, we put up a, a landing page. We started advertising on, you know, popular spots for freelance writers, and we sort of built up that 
that user base before the platform actually went live. Um, so by the time we launched it, we emailed our, our list and had, you know, pretty quickly, you know, one to 2,000 writers having, having signed up as part of the platform. Okay. Okay. That was great. How, how, how was it, um, how was it uh, vetting all those writers or how, how, are the, how was the vetting process for you if you have that many writers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is so it's there, changed. There, it's changed yeah. a lot over the years. Early on, what we did was um, we made LinkedIn a requirement. Um, so we actually wouldn't didn't even give you the option to sign up with the username and password. We required writers uh, to sign up with their LinkedIn credentials. Okay. And so what that did that gave us um, you know sort of a, an initial layer of vetting where we could review their LinkedIn profiles. You know, kind of check out their experience. Um, you know, some, some samples and things like that, but that was a, an early criteria that we had. Um, and then since then, you know, we've built out our community team to vet these writers according to um, a much more stringent criteria, I would say. Um, so what we're looking for, you know, we're looking for um, no anonymity, and I can get into that in a second, but we're looking for a relevant experience. We're looking, you know, if, if you say you're a science writer, like we want to see, um, you know, testimonials from your... Um, clients in that space. We want to see writing samples in that space. We want to see some experience that, you know, gives us at least enough information to determine whether or not you're going to be a fit for, for the clients that we have. So um, it is an open marketplace. Anybody can join Endash, but the level of access that you're granted uh, is pretty dependent on, on what your background looks like. Okay. And so how, how long did it take for you to um, build the MVP? Like what was involved with the MVP? Yeah. So looking back now, I think our MVP was way too, um, way too advanced. Um, there were a lot of things that we didn't need to include in it. That really? Was, that's pretty, that's rare, actually. Most people are. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I think it was, um, you know, we debated some, some real MVP stuff, which was, I just wasn't comfortable launching it. It just felt like it was too incomplete. And I'm sure you hear that a lot. Um, but it took us about nine, you know, eight months um, okay. to, to get the platform launched. And do that you, was done. Do you remember, um, you remember how much it cost about? Um, but anywhere from, you know, 50 to $80,000. Okay. But it's sort yeah. of like, it, it's, uh, so six months you were saying, so it's kind of like, uh, it was sort of like seven grand a month that the agency is sort of bringing over to, to fund the MVP. Yeah. And we worked with a, a lot of different people to, to get it online. So at the time, you know, our CTO, um, who's obviously full time now was, you know, um, he was a, you know, a part time, you know, CTO working anywhere from, you know, 10 to 15 hours a week. We had freelance developers, we had freelance designers, all kind of, uh, you know, working together on different parts of the platform. So there's a lot of people that, that played a role in, in getting the initial MVP out. And then, you know, as the business started to take off, we kind of consolidated talent um, and, you know, have been working on the platform that way ever since, mostly in-house. And who is the, um, are you the only founder? Who's got equity now in the company? Um, yeah, we have, um, you know, four to five people that I would kind of consider founders. So they were, you know, early employees, advisors, um, but there's about four or five of us right now that, um, you know, can, can kind of claim equity to the company. Okay. Yeah. And the CTO, how did you find the CTO? 
Yeah, so I, I um, one of the early decisions I made was to hire, not hire, but, um, you know, bring on a, a technical advisor. Um, so one of the areas that I felt, you know, I personally was a little bit lacking in is product development. I had never brought a, a software product to market. So I started to look for an advisor um, that could help me sort of navigate that space. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty instrumental in us, um, you know, kind of setting the criteria for what we're looking in a CTO, both in terms of, uh, you know, background and skills, but also, you know, current and future responsibilities. Um, so he gave me a lot of early advice. I tried a couple different platforms. I think a co-founders lab was one of them. Okay. Um, and, you know, interviewed a bunch of people um, and actually got started with one or two before I finally met Andre. Uh, who's our, you know, our CTO now. Um, but it's just kind of, um, you know, we were lucky to find him. Um, so, yeah, Co-Founders Lab was a, a good resource. Is that us. where you found him? You found Andre? It is, yeah. Lab. Okay. Yep. The, the, advisor, the advisor that you had, what, what capacity was he involved? Was he, was he like sort of a friend or mentor or were you actually paying him like for a few hours a month to help you? I mean, what was, tell me about that. Yeah, it was a straight, you know, a straight equity deal. Um, okay. So, I, you know, we weren't paying him um, and he never really did any um, hands-on tactical work. And I didn't need him to or didn't want him to. It was okay. really... Um, you just gave him a couple of points or something, is that? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so he, he saw the value, said, okay, um, he, he liked the idea, saw the agency was doing doing well, and, and so he was he was happy to come on as, as an advisor and, and then kind of, had he, did he have any experience himself in, um, in, in like any successful exits or anything like that, or what was his track record? Yeah, so he was, uh, you know, he's a brilliant product guy. Um, he's been at companies like MathWorks and IBM and Hart Hanks, so... He's pretty, you know, well-versed in in bringing products to market, um, but also very knowledgeable about the startup space and and scene in general. So, you know, I I initially engaged with him just for that product advice, but have found that, you know, he's been a great resource for us uh, for all kinds of other parts of the business as well. Okay. So he's obviously still involved. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, with advisors, you know, they typically play, you know, they, they have their their time in the sun and then they kind of, um, you know, transition to a new role. So we were meeting with him, you know, one or two times a week while we were developing the MVP. Um, yeah. and then as the, you know, the business launch, obviously we didn't need as much of his time. So we've been, it's more of a traditional advisor relationship now where we, you know, we, we talk to each other all the time and, and have lunch a couple times a year. Um, but yeah. we're not, you know, it's like more like a quarterly, quarterly involvement sort of. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, so so um, during this time, you're building up uh, your email list. Um, that was is that was it specifically designed because you knew that you were going to do the launch, or is that just sort of a, a component of your business at the time? Um, building that, yeah, yeah. So for us, you know, we had um, you know for any new startup, obviously raising awareness and bringing in users is a you know probably the the number one challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, our business was doubly so because we had to populate two sides of a marketplace. We had to, you know, the writers you know, and on, the clients, yeah, bring on writers and clients. So, yeah. um, we obviously, you know, thought it through and said, "Look, we can't launch a, a marketplace with no writers, so we got to get out ahead of that." Um, yeah. So that's why we spent 
any, I don't know, at least three to four months just promoting this to, uh, you know, potential freelance writers before we even mentioned anything to, you know, potential customers. Okay. And, and what was the early funnel like for building the, um, for the clients? Like what was the, what was the offer? Yeah. So, you know, like I said before, we had a good opportunity to, to bring in a lot of our existing clients um, okay. from the agency side. And we, and we kind of kept some of those relationships the, the same as they were before. But for a lot of, you know, companies we were working with as an agency, it was uh, far more beneficial for them just to work through our platform. Um, so they can work with the writers directly. They, you know, save a little bit on the, the management fees that we had been paying. So it was a better deal for them. Um, and so we, you know, like we seeded the, the platform with writers that we knew, we also seeded it with customers that we knew okay. as well. Okay. We were able to bring in anywhere from, you know, 100 to 200 individual brands, not necessarily individual clients, um, because some of the clients are agencies that manage, you know, 10 to 15 brands themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so we were able to seed the platform with a good amount of, of companies as well. Okay, so when, when you did the launch, um, it sounds like the transition between agency and, and product would be always sort of merged almost. They're just sort of, you're, they're dropping off the agency over to the product. They're getting a better deal over here, but you're not losing so much revenues right off the bat. Or how, how is that transition going from agency to product? Yeah, on the on the product side, it was um, you know there's some hiccups when you when you launch an MVP. It's it's not yeah. really you know done quote unquote. So there's a lot of hand holding early on. I think the the biggest transition for us is just was in terms of the business model. Um, yeah. So when we were an agency, revenues probably went down, right? Yeah, okay. revenues went down. Well. Um, Revenues kind of stay the same, but it's the, the margins in the operation that changes a lot. So, for instance, if we are, um, you know, working with a client and the client agrees to $2,000 for a white paper, um, you know, we turn around and, and pay the writer, um, you know, that with a little bit of margin on top of it. But there's, um, you know, much different um, cash flow and yeah. uh, operation on that side, whereas on the platform, you know, these companies are, are paying the writers directly. Um, yeah. And you're so just taking from having a very predictable, you know, cash flow, like, like invoices are sent on the first of every month and we expect them in 30 days to cash coming in at all hours of the day, every day. So that part was a little bit tough to adjust to. Okay. And what was, what were the revenues like um, when you first launched? Do you, do you recall? Um, yeah, they were small. <laughs> like, what are, um, what are we talking about? Well, I mean, small, I, I think, you know, the, the first month that we really had the platform, I think we were up to, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 15, like we got 10 or $15,000 of volume through the platform, which we were really excited about. Yeah, that's pretty but good for a launch, you know, but it sounds like because you, as you said, you'd already basically shifted your clients from, from the agency to the, to the product. Um, yeah. So it's not like we went from, you know, zero to, you know, 30,000 in the first month. Um, no. it, well, we did, but not, not, you know, completely organically. So it wasn't all new business sort of flocking to our platform and spending yeah. you know, that type of money. It was us bringing in um, okay. clients that we had seen it with. Okay. And so um, walk me through your, so this is 2016. How has, um, how has the, how has the, the shift been, uh, is the agency completely not uh, non-existent now? 
Uh, no, in, in a lot of ways, it's still there. It sort of reemerged, um, okay. I would say, in the past year. Um, a little bit differently, though. So, you know, today, most of the, you know, the volume, most of our revenue comes from self-serve, what we call the self-serve platform, where companies are, you know, signing up, they're, they're engaging these writers, we're obviously there to help them, but for the most part, the interactions are between the, the companies and the writers. Okay. Um, this past year, you know, we, we started to, to move upstream a little bit um, with some, you know, bigger companies and found that one of the ways that we could provide value was, um, you know, kind of taking over a lot of these small interactions for them. Um, okay. So larger companies tended to want, you know, a project manager, like a single point of contact that they could communicate all of this to. And that project manager would then, um, you know, make sure that work or sorry, the workload, uh, you know, got to the right people in the community. Um, so we introduced like a managed services plan, uh, which is a lot different than what we were doing at the agency. But effectively what it is, is, you know, an Endash project manager will manage your account for you. Okay. Um, so typically used by larger companies and, and companies on a, um, that have a large volume of content. Okay. Um, so there, we did sort of bring back a, a services component, but it's all, um, it's, it's very well productized. It's productized. The so they get like, so you get like a, a product manager and it's say, you know, 2000 a month or whatever. Um, is it, it's all priced out like that. If you need, um, your own customer, like, tell me about that managed service. Yes. Like, how do you, how do you sell that? And, yeah, I mean, you know, that it's mostly an upsell. Uh, we do you know, start a lot of companies right on that plan. Uh, but for the most part, it's a realization they have within our platform that, you know, if you're looking to spend thirty to $40,000 worth of content per month, um, it might benefit you to have, you know, somebody on our team kind of help you, you know, yeah. navigate that process. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that you know we we have a pretty good sense of you know the types of companies where that's a fit, and you know after you know obviously try to make the platform as as simple as intuitive as you can, but at a certain volume, um, you know it's easier for the the company and gives them more peace of mind uh, just to have somebody on our team a little bit more dedicated to to that day to day. Okay, so that's like a, a, the upsell that's in the cart as they're checking through, or is that something that you approach approach them afterwards once you find that out, or can they actually like in the cart and say, "Oh yeah, I want I want this." Uh, a little bit of both. So, at any company that signs up to Endash does so on the free tier, um, yeah. and the free tier is really, you know, Endash is a project management tool. So, if you okay. want to, you know, move content out of your inbox and out of spreadsheets, you can use Endash. Um, you can invite your in-house writers and, and manage all of those content projects within our platform for free. Okay. Um, and then, you know, the, the two tiers after that, what we call the pro and the manage, those are for companies that need to scale with our community. Okay. Um, so we do present, you know, that option to them in the platform. We mention it in, you know, marketing campaigns when they sign up, just making sure that we get them on the, you know, the plan that makes the most sense for them. Um, mm -hmm. And we do a little bit of, you know, direct selling as well, not as much, but there's a couple different ways that companies get on one of those plans. Okay. So um, walk me from 30,000, like, let's say, what do you, th what would you say was the next sort of plateau? Did you hit a plateau or was there any chat or has it been fairly smooth? Um, well, coronavirus is a bit of a plateau, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, well, it's actually, you know, our, you know, it, 
we typically have a, a pretty seasonal business. It's not, you know, completely um, the same every month. There's different seasons where, you know, we see more volume. Right now, we're seeing a ton of volume. Like, we haven't seen drop-offs at all. We just had our, our two best months ever back-to-back. Um, so, you know, it's it's quite possible we see a slowdown like most businesses do. But, you know, yeah. for the most part right now, we're, we're doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I guess in terms of plateaus, you know, we – depends on how you look at it. Um, so if you're, you know, one of these um, highly funded companies that needs to grow, you know, 100 200% month over month, you might look at, you know, our growth trajectory and, you know, come away a little bit disappointed. But for us um, – But you're f- yeah. fully bootstrapped though, right? Fully bootstrapped. Yeah. Like you want – you know, you want to grow organically. You want it to be sustainable. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what we're seeing. Like we have grown pretty aggressively uh, for a bootstrap software. Yeah, it company. sounds like it. I mean, you know, from thirty thousand to you know one seventy or whatever you're at right now is, I would say, it's over over um, four years is is great growth, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and is it? Um, I, I'm guessing there's a lot of SEO involved. Can Can you uh, give me um, your feelings on SEO? Because to me, content you know, a content strategy is really um, SEO is really important for that. Or, or do you um, do you use the content in other ways? Yeah, no, SEO is you know is probably our, our biggest marketing channel. Um, okay. So as a bootstrap company, it's not like we have you know millions of dollars to to spend on PPC ads or yeah. you know billboards or conferences or any of that. So you know we we invest most of our, our marketing efforts into to long term SEO. Um, and there's a couple ways that we do that. You know, we obviously do, um, you know, our fair share of blogging ourselves and posting on social media and, and um, doing offline SEO and things like that. Uh, but we have also kind of built that experience into the platform as well. So, you know, on the writer side, we have what we call like a monetized publishing network. Um, so if you're an N-Dash writer, you can start creating content. Uh, and really sort of list that content for sale. It's very much like a, a Shutterstock um, okay. where except for images, it, it's written content. So that content we use to, to promote to our audience as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's free for us. Well, obviously, we want, you know, brands purchasing that content and, and discovering new great writers. Um, but that's another way for us to kind of expand our, our SEO footprint with user-generated content. Okay, so um, can you tell me about the early strategy and how, and how your SEO strategy has evolved? Like, what's the core um, of your SEO strategy? Is it just masses and masses of content, or do you have, like, a, a, a more disciplined strategy where there's, you know, there's certain, certain period of articles that the articles have to target certain keywords, and there's someone actually doing research on the keywords, and um, you're targeting high volume yeah. raises and reaching. So we don't do, we don't, we definitely don't do high volume content. Uh, you know, we publish pretty strategically. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess some of the tools that we use, we're big fans of um, Hrefs. They have a nice tool to kind of identify uh, not only like keyword opportunities, but, you know, where your site's weak and where it needs improvement. So On we've been audit, a big Because I use, I use Hrefs as well. Yeah, we run reports every week and, and obviously, okay. um, you know, fix the critical issues if, if there are any, uh, but use yeah. it as sort of, um, 
you know, kind of guidance on, on what we should be um, you know, doing from a tactical SEO perspective. In yeah. terms of, you know, what we write about, we don't really let, you know, those types of tools kind of dictate what we write about. Yeah. Um, we tend to focus on, on three audiences. So digital marketers, uh, agencies, and freelance writers. Um, so all of the content we produce is aimed at one of those three audiences, if not, you know, all of them. And how much are you posting per week? Uh, it ranges from, you know, two to three posts. Sometimes we'll post five. Um, you know, we actually right now don't have a, a full-time marketer at the helm. So, you know, we're, we're sort of, you know, piecing this together um, yeah. the, on the publishing side anyway um, until we get that position backfilled. Okay. And um, who are the, who are some of the, the guys that you like to follow for, for SEO? Do you get, do you follow anyone like um, who's it? Uh, Neil Patel or Brian, um, Dean or any of these guys? Yeah. Neil Patel is great. I end up, you know, reading a lot of the articles that my, my colleagues will share. Um, so we work with a lot of, um, you know, marketing agencies that specialize in SEO and I'm always kind of picking up new things based on what they're sharing. I wouldn't say that I'm a, an avid follower of any anyone in particular. Neil Patel's great. Um, some yeah. of his companies have ended up on our platform. Um, so yeah, no uh, no specific people, but always always looking to learn. Do you have some Do you have some guidelines on SEO, like is, um, or at least some strategies? Like, okay, I like to um, target certain volume of keywords with the competition at a certain level, or do you have any things like any guidelines like that, that you, that you guys it, try and adhere to? Not really. One of the things that that's um, with back to Atrus for a second, you know, kind of looking at their marketing strategy, one thing that they do that I, I like quite a bit is, you know, they often, um, you know, write, write about how to solve problems in the SEO space, but they kind of always relate it back to their product, which is, I, I think is interesting because for so long, content marketers have been told, look, don't write about yourselves, don't write about your product. Um, but then you see these guys that are incorporating the product into everything that they do. And I think that's, um, it's certainly a uh, contrarian, uh, you know, type of strategy, but I like it quite a bit. We're, we're trying to do a little bit more of that. And it's not to be, overly promotional um it's just to be you know helpful um so right. if we can help a company solve a, a problem they have with finding writers or you know managing an editorial calendar in our you know our platform there's a tie-in um yeah we sort of sort of owe it to them to to mention that but obviously don't want to be um too promotional yeah too promotional yeah so, so you would have like almost like you start the article off as as informative, and then at the bottom you don't have like a, a call to action to, to get yeah, into the platform. Yeah, it's almost like a kind of a you know a subtle reminder. I think Ahrefs, if you look at you know really any of their content, okay, um, you know the first eighty percent will be about you know what is understanding the problem, um, talking about the solution, and then the last twenty percent will be you know how they're their product fix, fits into that solution. So it's, um, I, like the, I like the model quite a bit. Yeah. And, and your traffic, has it been fairly steady or is it starting to climb now with the, as your long tail keywords uh, strategy um, starts to... Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely starting to climb. We look at um, traffic uh, across all properties, so not just the, the public-facing website, but also the platform itself. Ultimately, like that's where we want uh, you know, people spending their time. So we look at um, 
traffic across all of our properties, both on the w, the public facing um, www site and then also the the application. Okay, in the application, so that would be like an app dot dash dot com. Yeah, we it's for us it's go dot dash. Okay, yeah. and um, but isn't that private or is it? Uh, you have to create an account to get in there. Uh, you do have to create an account to get in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, what, and what's curious, like, uh, what was the traffic at, um, like, when you were back uh, launching uh, compared to what it is now? Like, what, like, what kind of numbers were we looking at? Yeah, I don't remember exact numbers, um, but I think, I mean, our traffic has increased, um, you know, a couple thousand percent from. Yeah early launch um, I have to go look and, and see what the yeah. actual numbers are but um, yeah that's been um, it's been interesting to see um, you know that growth as well and how it kind of translates to you know to the other what I consider to be more important metrics which are um, signups um, yeah. activations repeat customers upgrades upsells things like that and and what are you and how are you optimizing your conversions for that traffic that's coming in? Like what? Um, well, you know, on our website back in the day, we would have we'd have a whole library full of you know white papers and webinars and all kinds of gated content. Uh, today we have one piece of gated content. And what's um, that? It's, it's a pricing guide. Um, okay. So it's a it's a readout on. Well, you know, it's downloaded by a lot of writers. It's really intended for, for companies that want to know how much they should pay a freelance writer, whether it be on Endash or elsewhere. So that's the one gated offer that we have. Okay. Um, and it's not because we're incapable of doing gated offers or that we don't like them or that we don't think they're effective. It's just that, you know, for us, if we want companies to convert, we don't want to distract them with 100 different white papers. Okay. Um, when you have a, a free platform like we do, you know, that should be, that should be your lead engine. That's your, your marketing engine. So we want to, you know, provide a lot of useful content without, you know, having to fill out a form. Mm -hmm. And then of course the, um, we've optimized the site for, you know, one pretty specific conversion, which is, you know, create that white paper. paper. Yeah. Yep. And how, and how's that white paper been received? Is it, is it, you got pretty good conversions on it? We do, yeah. I mean, it's been downloaded, um, you know, tens of thousands of times. Um, yeah. One thing that I really like about it is that it was written by, um, you know, one of the members of our community. Okay. Um, so not only does it give, you know, our potential customers and current customers as well a good sense of, you know, what they should be paying freelance writers, it also reinforces like, hey, this piece, uh, this downloadable asset was actually written by an Endash freelance writer. So, um it's what kind of subtle. length is it? Just uh, I think it's probably about eight or nine pages, maybe a little bit longer. Um, okay. So that's like what, 4,000 words or something like something that? Something like that, yeah. It's yeah. pretty consumable though. I mean, we go page by page on the different types of you know content deliverables and, and talk about some of the factors that make them more expensive or less expensive. Um, so it's not, a, it's not a straight text type of document. And it's mostly SEO that people are finding that in converting. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and uh, and what other sorts of conversion uh, optimizations that have you have you found that's really um, made a big difference for your business? Well, um, I mean, I think you know 
fundamentally it was just kind of um you know looking at the purpose of the website and where we wanted people to end up so yeah it's not as if we have you know very complex um you know systems in place to get people to convert we're not you know um overly analytical when it comes to that we just want to uh, you know make sure that the website provides enough information on you know what our products and services are all about but that when it's time to you know actually take the next step like it, it's easy to do so so you know there are you know sign up buttons in the, the header and the nav sign up buttons um, you know in the footer beyond that um, you know we don't want to be too in your face about about creating an account yeah and yeah. churn is tr what's your churn at um, churn's a new one for us, um, and that is because, you know, recently, until recently, you know, most of the companies that we had were on on, on the free on-demand version. Okay. Um, so churns, at, in that point, it's very hard to calculate because if somebody, you know, signs newer, up, yeah. does an assignment on month one, and then doesn't do anything for five months, and then does an assignment again, they didn't really churn in between those two months. They were just inactive. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we've never really calculated churn. We know, um, you know, activity, um, which brands are active, which ones are not. But churn is something we'll get a, a good handle on going forward because we have sort of switched up the model a little bit, um, just kind of upping the level of commitment that we, we ask for for brands so we can better serve them. Okay. Um, and how so has that been received? Uh, it's been received pretty well. I think yeah. that you know there was some there was some resistance from um, what I would call like leg legacy users, and we yeah. we took care of them obviously because you know they signed up Brandash thinking it was a free version. And we want to keep that for them. Yeah. Um, but new companies have you know they don't think twice about it. Um, they, they don't. Sort of no, yeah. they they sort of understand that you know look for so you know is, um, Sorry, how much is it? I need. I'm sorry. What, what did you say the pricing was? Well, like, what are the pricing plans? Yeah, so on the pro version, the, the most popular one, it's $30 a month plus okay, whatever yeah. you spend on content. Yeah. Um, so that gives you access to all of the features um, that we have, pretty low you know, platform fees and things like that. So basically on demand with the exception of a, a $30 monthly charge. The managed uh, account is $500 per month plus content spend. Okay, and yeah. and how's the space? Have you have you even been finding some some competition moving in with this very similar model, or, or how how is that? Yeah, I'd say fundamentally, you know, there is a lot of competition in our space. There's a lot of different writing platforms, um, and you know, there are some that aim for um, like a more enterprise experience. So you know, there's no free sign up; like you have to sign a yearly six figure contract. Uh, the platforms look, you know, quite similar in terms of, of what they're designed to do. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely competition from above and there's a lot of competition from below as well. Um, you know, I would call them, um, you know, like the, the typical high volume content mills. So we're trying to be, you know, go after a segment of the market that is comfortable using, you know, software on its own. Um, yeah. And it's also comfortable paying writers uh, what I would consider to be, you know, like a, a decent rate or a decent wage. Um, so that's sort of the spot in the market that we're going after. Okay. Um, and how about plans for the future? Any plans? You, you, you're going to stay with this or do you have, I mean, if you, 
if if somebody came up to you right now and ma- made an offer for you, what, uh, obviously everything's for sale at some point. But what, like, what's your ideas on on exits or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, we're not actively, um, you know, looking for an exit now. We still have a, a long way to go. Um, but I do think that you know our path is not going to be um, you know raising hundreds of millions of dollars in IPOing. I think that our exit is probably. Um, you know, from a from a bootstraps operation, uh, which yeah. is exciting because it lowers you know the it lowers the amount that you need to sell for to to call things a success, um, and it also kind of makes sure that you know you or or us as the founders kind of stay in control of that process, so nobody can um, nobody has right of first refusal, nobody can veto anything. There's you know there's yeah. no board to tell us what to do. So yeah, um, I enjoy that flexibility. Yeah. So you would say if you were, you would probably start up something again, do you think, in the writing space? Or what do you uh, think? It depends on what the exit looks yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm always going to, you know, look for projects um, and, and things to do. Um, yeah. I'm not sure I would, I'm not sure what space I would go to after this. I think yeah. that Are you I really still writing love, now? You're still writing look, now? You still yeah, write now? Yeah, yeah, every week. Um, yeah. I do a lot of writing. I enjoy that. Um, so I might get back into that a little bit. Um, yeah. I really enjoy the like the the product creation side of it. I think yeah. that's the the role that I've um, enjoyed the most is just kind of talking to customers, figure out what we're going to be building, figure out what it's yeah. going to look like, working with the engineers, testing things. I spent a lot of time, you know, testing new features before they roll out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe a career in product is in my yeah. future. Did so. you do any books? You never books. Yeah. Did you write, are you an author? Like, of any um, I've ghostwritten books. Uh, that was okay. part of my, my freelance gig before, okay. um, before I like, you know, started working in the, yeah. the real world. So I've ghostwritten a few things, never actually written a book myself. Okay. Probably well, maybe should. that's in the pipe then too. Yeah. Good. Um, Mike, listen, I, I really appreciate your time. We're coming up on 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 our agreed upon time. So I wanted to thank you. Um, obviously, the platform sounds great. It doesn't cost anything. Um, and the, the pricing guide sounds very interesting. Where can we send our listeners uh, to find out more about you? Uh, yep, easy. N-dash.com. N-D-A-S-H. Okay, good. And if they want to reach out to you, just... Um, is it Mike at uh, andash.com? It is. Yep. Feel free to email me. Okay, perfect. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software Big Break could be right around the corner.